If you ever talk to someone who's been on a mission trip with me to India before, they could probably tell you that there is one thing out of all the things that we do on those trips that I enjoy the least, and that is doing crafts. I do not have the spiritual gift of doing crafts. Other people do, and I'm proud to support them, but I myself am not gifted in doing crafts. As a matter of fact, when it's time to do crafts with children who are gathered at a school or at a church, I conveniently find something else to do, like stand up and go around and take pictures of other people doing crafts, or go find a group of Indian pastors because I found that most Indian pastors also do not have the spiritual gift of doing crafts. Now, however, there is one exception to doing crafts. There is one group of people in India that I absolutely love doing crafts with, and I always sit down on the floor and do it with them every time we visit, and that is the children at the deaf school. And the reason why I love doing crafts with the kids at the deaf school is that I have found that these deaf children are the best listeners that I have ever worked with. If you have ever worked with deaf people before, you know what I mean. They literally listen very, very well. They listen with their eyes. They watch what your hands are doing, and they watch what your lips are saying. And they follow along so well that they learn right away, and then they can teach other people how to do the craft, and so I'm off the hook. But I love, love, love spending time with children in the deaf school because they truly show me the love of God in Jesus. As a matter of fact, our Lutheran brothers and sisters in India have made a lot of inroads in non-believing and in Hindu populations in India through their work with deaf children and blind children and children who have mental handicaps. They've established schools, residential schools, for these children who sometimes are kind of cast off by the educational system in their land. And unfortunately, in some circles, including in parts of India, are viewed as if they're under some kind of curse, that perhaps they or their parents had done something wrong, and that is why they are afflicted with such a disability. It's hard to fathom that kind of thinking, isn't it? But that kind of thinking is out there. And as a matter of fact, that kind of thinking would have been there in Jesus' day as well. That if people had some sort of disability, they were viewed as being under some sort of curse. As a matter of fact, when Jesus heals a man who was born blind in John chapter 9, one of the questions that Jesus was asked was, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, it's not a matter of this man or his parents sinning, but this has happened so that he might show forth the glory of God. And I believe that people that do have those impediments and handicaps in this world show forth the glory of God in their lives. And such is the case with the man that we meet today in the book of Mark chapter 7, a phenomenal story that shows the power of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the identity of of Jesus. Jesus in Mark chapter 7 is going into a region that's called the Decapolis. Decapolis was a Greek word, is a Greek word that means the ten cities. And so he is in a Gentile, a Greek region. And so already these people are viewed as kind of being outsiders. The Jewish nation would have viewed the Greeks, the Gentiles, as being outside of God's favor. 
They would not have viewed them as, as blessed people, but under some sort of curse because of their differences. Well, Jesus is willing to go and associate with people who are viewed that way, and he enters into the Decapolis. And what happens in the ten cities, the Decapolis, is the same thing that has now begun to happen everywhere that Jesus sets foot. That people bring to him those who have different diseases and impairments and who are in need of his healing touch. And so it tells us that there are some people brought to him a man who was deaf and who could hardly talk. And they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. A man was there who could hardly talk. A translation of that could also be had a speech impediment. And it's a term that is only found in this one location in all of the New Testament. And so when the Gospel writer Mark is describing the scene, he's actually giving a signal with his use of that term. And when Mark describes the man who could hardly talk, he sends us back to the use of that term in the Old Testament so that we can see prophecy and fulfillment. And he sends us back to a particular spot, Isaiah chapter 35, so that we will better understand who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And so in Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 34 of Isaiah, it speaks about how the world is a mess and how because of sin, there is this damage in this world, there's destruction in this world, there's disease and devastation in the world, and the world is churning and turning in chaos and yearning and longing for something more. And then in Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah speaks words of promise where he speaks about the coming day of God's Messiah, the Savior who will come and who will take God's creation that has tumbled and stumbled because of sin, and he will restore it, he will recreate it, he will redeem it. And in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5, he uses a similar term that Mark chapter 7 uses. And so it's a signal within the text to go back and, and check this out. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then, on the coming day when the Lord's Messiah comes, then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. So there is the promise, the prophetic word. There is this Messiah who will bring restoration, but watch what he does to those who are blind and watch what he does to those who are deaf and watch who he reveals himself to be because Jesus' miracle will be a sign that will show us that he, as the Messiah, is ushering in God's new creation, that God is doing a new thing. He is taking what has been broken by sin, his original creation, and he's restoring it. He's redeeming it. He's remaking it through his own son who has come into the flesh. So what does Jesus do to restore and usher in his new creation? Mark 7, verse 33 and following. After Jesus took the man aside, away from the crowd, he put his fingers into the man's ears, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. And he looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephatha which means 
be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus works a miracle in this man's life. Jesus, by his action, shows that this man is not cursed. He is blessed. This man is not cast off from God. He is welcomed into the very presence of Jesus. He is a very child of God who has been touched with the healing power of the Savior and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this Savior is not afraid to be hands-on to creatively redeem his fallen creation. Jesus takes his fingers. He even takes his own saliva, touching the man's ears and his mouth making us think about God in the very beginning. What did the Father do? It says in Genesis that the Father reached down and with his hands from the dust of the ground, he formed man. And so the same God who was hands-on in creating the world is now going to be hands-on in redeeming the world in touching those who are blind, in touching those who are deaf, in taking his hands and stretching them out upon the cross, in lifting up his hands and blessing as the one who was raised from the dead and now lives and who reigns unto all eternity, the one who is willing to be hands-on to creatively redeem you and me as his fallen people. This Jesus is the one who has been promised of old. And this Jesus is God's Son coming to the flesh. But did you notice what Jesus did? Right before he spoke the word, Ephatha, and through his word brought healing to the man. Did you notice it? It's easy to miss, but right before he spoke, what did he do? He took a deep sigh. Did you notice that? I wonder what that sounded like. I wonder what that sounded like. I, I wonder if it was a, or if it was a, or a, here we go again. I don't know what it was, but the deep sigh, I think that that deep sigh may sound like what you sound like. When, when you get a word from your doctor that you were not wanting nor expecting, Maybe it's the deep sigh that you feel and that maybe you audibly release whenever you watch the news and you see, here we go again. More bad numbers or more warfare or more struggles or more murders in our community. Maybe it's the sigh that you let out when you get a call from your child that speaks about their trouble in their work or at their school. Maybe it's the sigh that you let out when you just get to the end of your day and your body is tired and worn out and ready to just throw in the towel. <sighs> Jesus lets out a big sigh. And what I believe Jesus is doing is not only is he showing that he understands the pain of human life. He understands the affliction that is upon this man who needed to hear and to be able to speak but also, again, when he sighs, Mark, in recording that, takes us right back to Isaiah 35. It's as if you've got to read these two passages together because there is sighing in Mark in Isaiah 35 as well. Look at the prophecy. 
It says gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. You see that? Prophecy and fulfillment. That there will come a day when the sorrow and the sighing of life will be gone. When the blindness and the deafness of life will be gone. When the death and destruction of our world will be gone. When the depression and heartache of our lives will be gone. And gladness and joy will overtake them. Who are them? Who are the ones being spoken of? It's those who have been touched by the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah's prophecy finds fulfillment in Jesus. And what Jesus does for the man here in Mark chapter 7 is a preview of what he will one day do for you and for me as well. Because it points us forward to that beautiful picture that Jesus gives of what will happen to us in glory. Revelation chapter 21. Do you remember this promise? This is what God promises for those who love him. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or sighing or pain for the old order of things will have passed away. He will give that to you. He will give that to you and to me and all who trust in Him in the kingdom of heaven. And so He lets out that sigh to embody the human condition so that in His healing power of Ephatha be opened, He will one day open the kingdom of heaven to all who believe in Him. Jesus' healing of this one man is a window. It's a window through which we get to see what He will one day do for us all. It's a picture of who He is, the Son of God, and what He will do. He will redeem and restore His fallen creation. And then this section ends with His command. Mark chapter 7, Jesus has just enabled this man to speak, but now He gives a strange command. He says, shh, don't talk about it. He commands them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept on talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. And what did they say? He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He has done everything well. He has done everything well. The Recreator and Redeemer has done everything well. And who is this? But the Son of Him who in the very beginning in Genesis 1, verse 31, God saw all that He had made. And behold, it was very good. He has done everything well. The people who witnessed Jesus' miracle of recreation praise Him with the same words that describe the Lord's original creation. He creates you. He's done everything well. He won't let you go even in your fallen condition, but redeems and restores you. He has done everything well. And as Jesus says, don't tell anyone about it. The time has not yet come. What do they do? They talk about it. They tell more and more people. It's almost as if it's reverse psychology going on. And so in the church today, we always say, well, we need to tell the good news of Jesus to all of the world. Maybe we should take the opposite approach and say, hey, don't tell anybody about Jesus. Don't tell anybody about the forgiveness of sins and life and salvation that he gives. Don't tell anybody about his creating power. Don't tell anybody 
about his healing touch. Don't tell anybody about his promise to come again. But I bet you will. I bet I will. We must tell and we must declare that he has done everything well. May we receive that word which is God's truth and may we apply it to our lives as we live under him who touches us with his healing power and indeed does everything well. In Jesus' name, amen.